there was probably a large entourage of these magis along with even a small army that accompanied them. If you look in verse 3, and when the king Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, if you read the verse, something had made King Herod nervous. Now, he said he was disturbed, or in literal translation, the word is that he got paranoid. And three dudes on a camel probably would not have done this, but a whole caravan, certainly. So there were three gifts, but not three magis. As the Jesus. And it's second to note that these magis were not kings, but rather they were kingmakers. These magis, also translated as wise men from last week's sermon, were a group of people associated with the priestly caste during the meets, and they were often sought out by the kings for wisdom and counsel. Hence, we get the word wise men. And this is something that my kids, our youth, were so shocked. Lastly, opposite of the popular belief that these magis did not come on the day or the night that Jesus was born. <gasps> but they actually came sometimes later, as far as two years after Jesus was born. If you read in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi's, he became very enraged and sent the men and killed all the boys who were in Bethlehem in all vicinity who were two years old or younger, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi's. Now from this verse, it reveals that when Herod realized the Magi's had not come back, or return to tell him exact location of where Jesus was. And we all know the story that he ordered every child two years younger to be slaughtered. Henceforth, that Jesus was about two years of age or younger when the Magi's visited him. So next time, when you actually set up your nativity scene, you might want to move the wise men like 10 blocks away from your house you want to, if you want to be accurate to the nativity scenes because it took them for a while to visit Jesus. Now because, but regardless of when they came or how many of them there were, they had brought three gifts. Three gifts to be exact. And during this Advent season, we are asking all of you to answer this very question. What gifts are you willing to give Jesus? Now, your gifts doesn't have to be lavish or extravagant like the ones that Magi's gave to Jesus. But I want you to think about this. As Caitlin mentioned last week, what is the best gift that you can give that would be worthy of who is our Savior, our King, and our High Priest? Because the gifts that the Magi's gave weren't just costly or expensive, but they were very, very emblematic of the roles that Jesus would play and to perform later in life. The first gift 
that Pastor Eric mentioned, the gift of gold, two weeks ago, symbolizes that Jesus was the king. And that's exactly what the wise men actually said when they actually came in the court of King Herod. And this is what he says in verse 2. Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? And then last week, Caitlin talked about the gift of frankincense. And that we learned that frankincense was the substance that was used by the priests in the temple in Jerusalem. And that how Jesus was to perform a priestly function and that he would become the mediator for us and to God. And today, we are going to talk about the third gift, the gift of myrrh. Now, before I begin, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever received a strange gift or an unusual gift from someone and upon receiving it, you go like, Oh, what is this? Like, why would this person give this gift to me? Two Wednesdays ago, I was invited to uh, Oakland Hills Home Group. And um, I I know um, good things come in small packages. But my wife goes, pick the big one. (laughs) Pick the big one. So my wife actually opened the biggest one. I think one of the biggest one. And I opened and said, you know what? Good things come in small packages, but still, I was listening to, you know, my wife being a good husband. So I opened a kind of a medium-sized box. And so it, this was very, very nicely wrapped, and I opened it. And I opened it, and I'm going, what the heck is this? Because up to my surprise, it was actually a box full of old CDs, it was old CDs. And when I opened it, uh, I actually, I'm going, whoa, this is so cool. Because um, the first CD that I actually saw was a CD of, I don't know if you guys know who this group is called, the Oingo Boingos. <laughs> now, the reason this, this CD be- became so nostalgic is because I remember in high school, I used to like this girl, right? And she was into Oingo Boingos. And I remember telling my parents that, you know what, I'm going to study in the library. And we went to a con- Oingo Boingo concert. So anyways, anyways, you know what, but as I opened up the box and I said to myself, man, who would give their old CDs away? And that's exactly what the gift of myrrh was all about because myrrh was an embalming fluid for the dead. Certainly very, very inappropriate for a two-year-old. A car seat, a pacifier, or some toys, yes. But an embalming fluid for the dead, certainly not. Now the Hebrew word myrrh Actually, actually is more. And it was first used in women, in beauty treatment. Those of you guys who know the book of Esther, when Esther becomes the queen, she was brought before the king in Esther chapter 2, verse 12. Each young woman, their turns came to, into the court of King Ahasuerus. After she had completed 12 months of preparation, and here it is. 
six months with oil and myrrh. Six months with perfume and preparation for beautifying their skins. So it was like an ultimate spa experience that lasted a year. And so myrrh in the Bible was first used as like a beauty product. The second usage, it was actually used as a perfume. If you read in Psalm 45, 8, it notes that the king's garment were scented with myrrh and aloe and cassia. Third usage, it was used as, as an analgesic. It was used as a painkiller. It took away the pain. In Mark chapter 15, verse 23, we read, They gave Jesus wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he didn't take it. You see, when Jesus was on the cross and he was dying from the most excruciating death, the Roman soldiers offered him wine that was diluted with myrrh to deaden the pain. Now, I am, I am the world's biggest chicken. And whenever I'm sick, I'm taking Advil's like Skittles. Now, if I was Jesus, I would say, please give it to me, Right? But what I find interesting is that Jesus refused it. It is if he saw the importance, the sacrificial lamb taking on the sins of this world to feel every single ounce of pain so he refused to have him to deaden his pain. So the third usage was used as a painkiller. The fourth usage is used for antiseptic. Still, in many parts of the world today, it is used in mouthwashes, toothpastes, and that it even says that it prevents gum diseases. So myrrh is like a dentist's best friend. But the last usage, and this is the most important and germane to today's text, it was used as an embalming fluid. It was used to treat the dead. Remember, after Jesus died at his burial in John chapter 19, verse 39 to 40, and this is what the Bible says. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body. Two of them wrapped it with spices and stripped of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Now, the reason they use it for obvious reasons, right, because of these dead bodies, right? One's corrupt, stink, and to mediate against the stench of the tomb that, you know, they're so used to, that myrrh and aloe were used to encase the body. But here's what's so interesting about this gift of myrrh. The same substance that was associated with Jesus' early in life is also associated during his death. The Magi's gave to baby Jesus the gift of myrrh, and now the gift of myrrh is presented during his burial. The Magi's presented myrrh to him after his birth, and now myrrh is given to him and used during his death. Now, why is this so important, or why is it so emblematic? 
is because in the ancient times, the rabbis associated myrrh with sacrificial death. We all know the story of story of Abraham, right? When he offered his son Isaac. Where? On Mount Moriah. And that very Hebrew word, more, has the very root word in the place where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac on the Mount Moriah, which is translated Mountain of Myrrh. So to an ancient rabbi, myrrh was immediately connected with deaths, especially the sacrifice of a father of his own precious son. Now, if you guys know the Advent story, now you'll probably guess where I'm going with this because the same mountain, Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered his son is the same mountain where Jesus Christ will be sacrificed by his own father for the sins of this world. And so no wonder then that the ancient scholars regarded the gift of myrrh to be the child Jesus as a prophetic of his death. Are you, are you following me, mate? If not, I want you to picture this. Imagine that you are Joseph and Mary, okay? And one morning, one morning, I mean, a lot of people are knocking at your door. There's a knock, you go and open the door, and it's like the whole army, people from the east are standing in front of your door. And everybody in town is saying, what's going on? What's, what's happening? What's going on here? And ask the question, why are these people at your front door, Mary and Joseph? And they see that they have brought some gifts. And people realize, oh, hey, they brought some gold to you, right? And you're just kind of embarrassed because you see a lot of these bling bling, right? And you have never seen that kind of lavish gift before, but you take it graciously. Then they give you the gift of frankincense. And you understand being a Jewish male or a female, you know it is associated with priesthood. But then they pull out the last gift, the gift of myrrh. And you don't know what to say. How lovely. And as you look into your husband, you look into your wife, honey, they gave us the gift of myrrh. And Joseph and Mary begins to wonder, why myrrh? I know it's used as a beauty treatment or it is used as a perfume and it is used as an antiseptic and painkillers, but... Why the gift of myrrh? And you begin to kind of scratch their head. And all of a sudden, Mary remembers that very night that he had a visitation from angel Gabriel. She remembers the prophecy. Mary, you who is a virgin, you will have a child and you will call him Jesus. Save the sins of the world.
And all of a sudden, you begin to realize, how would he save people from their sin? How? He would save the people from their sin by going to the place where myrrh was first used or used the most. And this was the prophetic of this child who was going to be, or who was two years old. And then you realize that this child would die by carrying the world's sin. And you begin to understand. You as a mom, you begin to kind of become emotional because your child will never be able to enjoy life privileges. And you realize that this child... Save people's sin. People of CLC, no one is saved by Jesus' lifestyle or his examples or his words. We are saved only by his death. You see, salvation comes as you recognize Jesus took your place on that very cross and that he had died for you, me, and everyone who is actually sitting in this room. Now, some people say, well, you know what? I've always liked that red letter Bible, that, the letter, the sayings of Jesus. And because I like to meditate upon his words and I feel so, so good whenever I do. Or I, I've seen Jesus as a wonderful example of a human beings. And I like to aspire to live by that example. Well, good luck. Because salvation only comes through his death. For the past 20 minutes or so, I built up a case for the significance of this precious gift, the gift of myrrh. And still today, as I talk to people, choose to neglect or reject this free gift. Now, do you guys remember what I said last year on Christmas sermon? I said that this gift is a gift. Those of us who grew up in the church, we've heard this sermon many, many times. Yeah, yeah, I know. God came out of heaven to this earth. Yeah, yeah, he was born in a manger, grew up, died on a cross, Rose from the dead. Yeah, 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 I know. God loves me. God loves you. God loves... We get it. It means that you and I can be forgiven. Cool. I've heard it before. It means that you, I, can live forever. Good to know. But remember what I said last year is that in order for you to enjoy and to really, really fully enjoy and to know what this gift means, you have to open it. You have to receive it in your heart. You got to take it as your own. And I want to leave, or I want to finish with a thought. This Christmas story that we're ever so familiar with, we all know about the manger, the nativity scenes. We know about the shepherds. We know about the singing angels, a bunch of wise men bringing three gifts. But do you really know the rest of the story? 
The rest of the story is that the child was the only person who was ever born in this world with a distinct purpose for death. This child was the only person who was ever born for death. And this is the part that most people overlook during the Advent season. You know, I can't believe, as Caitlin just mentioned, that in 2023, it's slowly winding down, and as next week, we're going to be celebrating Christmas Eve service. But if you look or overlook the cross and only focus on the manger and scene, you'll miss the gold of the manger. Unless you see the shadow of the cross falling on that crib, won't be able to fully understand the crib clearly at all. You see, the purpose of that crib was the cross. Do you know that myrrh, like frankincense, is a resin that comes from a tree or a plant? It is very, very aromatic. It comes from a reddish gum, from a low-lying, low-growing, thorny tree. But here is something that is very, very important for us to know. As I was researching the gift of myrrh, when I found this out, did you know that the myrrh is a substance that gives away his best scent? just came up and said he was pierced for our offenses he was crushed for our wrongdoings the punishment for our well-being is laid upon him and that his wounds are healed gift of myrrh gives off his best scent This Oingo Boingo um, CD, it's the best of Oingo Boingos. It's, it, the, the title is called The Skeleton in the Closet. Now, if you guys know Oingo Boingos, I, I know Oingo Boingo because, you know, like I said, I, but one of the songs, there's a song called Dead Men's Party. And I realized something as I opened it at home. As I was preparing for this sermon, I realized something very, very important. When I was in high school, I wasn't a Christian. I was looking, I was chasing after worldly dreams. And that's exactly what the lyric said. I was, I was a dead man partying. And then all of a sudden this morning, as I was preparing for this sermon... Ephesians 2 came to mind. And you were dead in your trespasses and the sin which you were once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work of the son of disobedience, 
among whom we all once lived in passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body of the mind. We are all nature, children of wrath, like the rest of the mankind. How morbid. But this is where it becomes so good. In verse 4 it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, that he loved us so much, while we were dead suits sin, he made us alive together with Christ. That by grace that you have been saved. I don't know about you guys, but Ephesians chapter 2 was just a verse. And all of a sudden, when I realized the gift of myrrh gives off the best scent. Best aromatic scent when it's crushed. Then I realized how I was so dead in my trespasses while I was in high school. But God so loved me and you. While we were still dead in our sin, He made us alive. Now, gift of myrrh probably the most unusual gift that you would ever give to a child. But the gift of myrrh reminds us that this is the greatest act of love ever shown, the sacrifice on the cross. So during this Advent season, I want to ask all of us, how are you going to share this scent? I think the best gift. One of the authors that I love is Max Lucado. And one of his books kind of portrays or illustrates what Mary was thinking. And Max Lucado thought that Mary understood what she was thinking because there is a prayer called Mary's Prayer. And I want us to share, I, I want to I share this as we take communion this morning. And this is what Mary's prayer says. Rest well, tiny hands, for though you being a king, you will never touch the touch of satin. You will own no gold. You will grab no pen. You will guide no brush. No, your hands are reserved for work more precious to touch a leper's open wound, to wipe a widow's weary tear, to claw the grounds of Gethsemane, your hands so tiny, so tender, so white, clutched tonight in an infant's feast, fist. They are, distant, they are destined not to hold a scepter, no wave from a palace balcony, they are reserved instead for all Roman spike that will staple them to a Roman cross. Now, this is what Max Lucatus says. Now, you may wonder, what kind of a father would give his son to be killed? Only a father who loves you enough to redeem you with the 
by sending his own very son to a grave, to a mountain called. 